TD! People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. On a beautiful, beautiful Sunday in the state of Oklahoma after a little week hiatus. I mean, I am glad to be doing this. Joined, as always, alongside Peyton Guthrie. I, like, Peyton, whenever I'm not recording a Sunday podcast or at least a podcast a week and I get to talk football and like get it out to the world or at least talk sports and get it out to the world on a different platform, like, I don't know what to do with myself. So this is perfect. I'm glad to, I'm glad, I'm sure I'll talk about it in a sec about everything that when it does not recording a podcast last week. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to get everything back. I know we missed last week uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, we've touched on that on some of our Patreon podcasts. Keegan was on the, uh, what is it? The, is it the IR now? Um, it's the I, it's, yeah, it's not the deal. It's not the designated list. It's the injured list. Injured list. Injured list. That's correct. So I mean, uh, on the man, but he's back now. We've got him called back up from injury assignment and, you know, here we go, man. It's Sunday talking to the masses, talking to the, uh, to the, to the fan base. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have a bunch of like hate listeners. And and honestly, if we do, I'm fine with that too. Cause you know, listens or listens. Uh, but man, what are we talking about this week? What are we doing? What's happened? It's a little bit of spring football, football in the air, man. I mean, you saw it a little bit around the country, like spring practices are kicking off, but mm-hmm. it's impressive. Peyton, Oklahoma, Texas, USC and Miami, all one spring practice this week. Yeah, I think they all had the best practice ever. So it's pretty cool to see that get stacked up over and over and over <laughs> again. I mean, I, I love watching college football. I mean, that's the one thing uh, that, that differentiates the, the, uh, the two main college, two big college sports. You know, college football is fun because it's almost a direct correlation sometimes between college and NFL uh, or the professional league. So if we got a bunch of professional-looking football teams come uh, – come, uh, Come come this fall, I'll be I'll be super excited. But uh, you know, yeah, you said USC has the best practice of all time, according to Colin. <laughs> and then PFF said uh, th- th- this this is the biggest morale boost that we've ever seen in the history of college football oh, down my in USC. God. So, uh, it all is right. a a big deal down there. Oh my god! All right, so let's. I got to be around the pro football focus people over the last mm-hmm. month and a half um, with my adventures, and so. It was so hard not to say something to Anthony Triesh. And you know me, like even me saying, I would say this, what I'm saying right now on this podcast, like out loud, like I have no problem with it. Um, he, his breakout list of quarterbacks last year was like Emory Jones. Um, There's like a list of four and none of them panned out. Like DJ Galele was one of them. Like this man, he is... If anybody, if you don't know what we're talking about, PFF underscore college football sent a tweet out quoting a, an analyst for them named Anthony Triosh, mm-hmm. stating no one has improved their morale more this offseason so far than USC football. Like what the Parker put it perfectly. I was going to send something out. I had something typed up, Peyton, that I deleted um, for uh, business purposes. But Parker <laughs> put it per- like, "What are we even doing there? It doesn't. That doesn't make any sense." No, yeah, it, it's not even. It, it's I think it's PFFs. A certain section of them understanding that 
there isn't a um it's just my opinion i I don't think there's a huge opinion for just a bunch of stat stuff that that are just that's just without context uh takes just reign supreme and even even the quote-unquote stat nerds are starting to get their takes off uh so uh yeah it's, it's it's interesting so pff the way it's built they have like their analysts that do all the charting stuff that i do and then they have their research and development, their data, their data scientists that would do all, they take all that information that's being charted, they put it all together. They also have a content team, which is where triage and the people you see out on social media, they're like, they're supposed to be, I guess, hey, my view should be the shield for their work, but like they're making their work look that much less. Like, I don't know how you look at some of the stuff that gets put out on PFF social, and then go to their work and it's like, oh, yes, this is the most accurate, most evidence-based information out there. Anyways, there's a there's my little spiel on PFF. But we're back <laughs> on this Sunday. I broke my freaking hand. It has been a miserable two and a half, three weeks. Um, I didn't realize how badly it was broken whenever I did break it. I went a week without a splint. I got put in a splint two Mondays ago. Um, and the first 10 days of being in that splint were some of the worst pain that I've gone through. Could not use my left hand at all um, and basically have been drugged up the entire time. As a connoisseur, uh, I will say, of the medical marijuana world that we are here in the state of Oklahoma, um, I don't know if this last week could have been by if that bill hasn't been passed. So um, just to go to show, I have been not in the right mindset to talk about sports in a setting like this uh in the last 10 days so peyton thank you uh for carrying the ship a little bit the last week greatly appreciate that and uh yeah we're about to dive into some spring football talk if you guys enjoy this podcast please leave a nice comment subscribe to it review it you can even do it on spotify any any podcasting platform where you get your podcasts at you can do that at we greatly appreciate it. You can also go check us out at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. A great interview with Ryan Chapman on the some of the ins and outs of spring practice last week. I just got up um, our updated spreadsheet for the year. It's got all the updated number changes, height changes, weight changes, all that fun stuff, including um, some SP plus information that we have behind our little paywall. We'd love to have you at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. All right, Peyton, 38% of Oklahoma's roster is either shrunk or grown. I know I'm the only one that cares about this, but what is, is there, and they found the fountain of youth or am I just, I'm just kidding around joking too much about this. I think you're, uh, I, I, honestly, I think it's just kind of whatever. Uh, all, all this stuff comes out in the wash at the, at the end of their career. Uh, <laughs> once, once you start doing some NFL and pro day measurements for right now, yeah, I just don't think it matters. You, you just kind of understand those are going to be off to the, you know, anywhere from 10 to uh, 10 pounds above and below or <laughs> two inches above and below and just kind of move on with it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you'll, I don't think, a, sure. I don't think head coach is ever going to give you a, a straight, straight answer on those things. Yeah, it just is always interesting to me. Anyways, you guys can go check that out. Patreon.com slash through the keyhole. All right, Peyton, let's get into spring football. Uh, more of a big picture podcast. Looking at Oklahoma entirely or their entirety for this spring positions players looking ahead to the 
fall season. Let's start with the most important place for this team. It's been this most important place for this team for the last couple of years. It may be the most important place for every team in college football, football in general, um, with the offensive line. But it, it's pretty straightforward. That's what I put for the offense itself. Like, like there's three guys fighting for the two offensive tackle spots, Savion Bird, Wanya Morris, and then incumbent Anton Harrison. And then you have four guys fighting along the interior offensive line for the three interior offensive line spots with Chris Murray, Andrew Rame, McCade Matower, the transfer from Cal, as well as Robert Condrell, who played at Oklahoma a year ago, mm-hmm. transferred from Arizona. It's pretty straightforward, Peyton. Do you like that? Like, I like we kind of know what the offense in terms of personnel, what it's going to look like, at least specifically. Um, that, not just the offensive line, but everybody in general. Yeah, I mean, I, it, mm, I wish there was something I could, I could point to and say, oh, wow, check this out. It looks like some things are going to change. It looks like something's, something's going to be helpful. Um, you know, I, I've heard some stuff to the O-line. Is it hasn't quite meshed up the way you want it to, but still it's very early. It's We're still kind of walking through this stuff. That kind of stuff takes time. Uh, but a lot of these guys have been here. A lot of these guys have, you know, this they're not replacing the full unit. I mean, they still got guys who, um, who, 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 who have playing time, transferred in, like you said. But it, that, that's the one thing I'm a little worried about a little bit. I kind of do wish there was some ambiguity of we wonder how this is going to turn up. We wonder how this is going to work out. But um, I mean, I, I, I take it from your from your tone of voice. The, the idea of having this kind of lined out and now it's just getting them used to each other is a, uh, you're enjoying that a little bit better than I am. I would say it, I think from a coaching perspective, like it can almost make it, it, it makes you more comfortable, which I think in terms of what you can get out of those guys, um, it could be more like I, I look at Bill Beatenbow that looks at the three offensive tackles and say, Hey, two of you are going to win this. One of you's yeah. not. And from a motivation motivation factor that there that is, as well as you can focus on, hey, these three guys need to know the playbook. They also, but they also got to get developed. But more importantly, they got to know the playbook. Um, you can't go through any of the crap that you had a year ago, where offensive linemen are all going in different directions during every portion during portions of games throughout the season. Um, and as well as with the same four guys, hey, three of you are going to play, one of you's not. Um, and then guess what, Peyton, the guys that are behind them that you're developing, you could focus on the development side more. Um, now they need to get ready, but that's where I kind of come with it. And it goes along with the skill positions as well. Um, you have Theo Weiss, you have Drake Stoops, Marvin Mims, Brayden Willis, and Eric Gray. And it, like, don't get me wrong, I'm, we're going to talk about a couple guys here in a second that could barge in the starting rotation. But it seems like across the board, it's just, hey, status quo. You know, these guys were good a year ago. Um, you know, we can make them better players. Um, it seems like that's kind of the mojo around Norman with the offense. Well, yeah, I guess that's good. I mean, you, you have guys that the thing is we've seen these guys, they've, they still got the same head coach. I mean, not same head coach. It's not the same position coach and stuff. So I, I'm just not expecting a, uh, was it Joe Moore, a Joe Moore, um, uh, award-winning unit to try out the field next year. I, I expect something to be better than where they were, but I'm, I'm just, I just don't know if I can think of the idea of it and saying, okay, this is going to be like two or three steps from where they were last year. I mean, may, maybe that's me pessimistic. 
while everyone is having such a fun time in spring and you know, <laughs> all the all the flowers are growing and all the sun's being pumped down to to Sooner Nation. Yeah, I I mean, I, I offensive line is obviously the most important piece of this whole puzzle. It is for every team, every college football program. Um, there's really hasn't been a, a, I think Sam Mays had a quote a couple years ago that are really stuck with me, Peyton. It's like, think, think of the last time a, a team that won a national title or Super Bowl and had a bad offensive line. Like you can't, yeah. like, I, I can't go back and think about it. So it starts there. Is it, and this is March 27th and me saying this, is it, is it fair to say this whole thing kind of falls on how those guys develop this spring and the summer? Oh, for sure. 100% for sure. I mean, if you look at what's happening and, oh man, and you look at, you look at everything that's kind of going on with, with wide receiver group, it's not like a super talented wide receiver group in my position. It's more than likely going to be a very good, um, a very good college football unit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's going to be up there, but you're, you're not looking at an Alabama unit. You're not looking at, you know, 2019 LSU or, you know, this just past year's uh, Ohio State or officials this year's Ohio State. Uh, you know, you're not looking at that type of stuff. So I think you're just going to kind of have to run into it and have to understand that if the O-line isn't setting things up for everybody. Uh, and, and I think the running back is the same as the wide receiver group. So if the O-line isn't keeping Dylan Gabriel clean and isn't opening holes for some of these running backs, because we've seen Dylan Gabriel. I mean, we've seen Eric Gray run. We've seen Marcus Major run. I, they need more help, in my opinion, than than what was given to them last year. And if it's not working out, then I, I, it may just be kind of a weird, disjointed, um, you know, year for the OU offense. No, oh, for sure. And I think one guy, and we'll talk about Marvin Mims, who is obviously the can take the top off a of defense. He's going to be the mm-hmm. vertical threat. It when you watch the Ole Miss tape and see how old Marvin Mims is going to translate. Um, it makes a lot of sense why he can have a lot of success in this offense. Um, but, but the other guy, the other big potential wide receiver that is going to be asked upon to be a big possession guy, as well as a guy that can make plays after the catch, Theo Weiss says he's a hundred percent healthy. His exact quote, if it's a scale of one to 10, I'm at an 11. That's very positive news. And I think in Peyton, I was talking to some people in Indianapolis, you know, football stuff, all, all sorts of things. And one of the conversations was about drops. And I think a lot of people, in their, what they remember is Theo Weiss had a major drop problem in 2020. He dropped yeah. a ton of pass. He dropped a ton of passes. The data speaks to drops really not carrying over year to year. And I don't know why it's so it, that's uncommon or why that is common for guys to have a bunch of drops and then come back and that not be an issue the next year. I don't know the reason, but taking that information with the COE's ability and physicality at the line of scrimmage with his route running and releases um, as well as his catchability. I think this is a guy, whenever you look at it, you look at the end of the year, if he has over 750 yards receiving and no, maybe a second team, all conference kind of receiver. Like I, that wouldn't be surprised me at all. Uh, I think I'd be a little surprised if he were to get 750 um, at that point in time. I don't think he's been – has he been close to that in the past? Um, no, 2020 I, is probably the closest, he, obviously, he's been. I, I could see that. I think this ball is going to get spread around a little bit more, like you said. Um, I mean, Mims is the main guy, and I think they're going to take some time to make sure Mims is the main guy. Um, so that that's the thing that kind of worries me about um, – 
worries me about the ability of uh, of Weissfield to get in that 750 range because I mean college football you don't have you you don't have a lot of that. This guy has 1,200 yards. This guy's 800 yards. This guy's I mean it's usually you've got one boom guy, and then the rest of everyone else is kind of picking up the the, the pieces from there. Uh, I, I, if that is the case, then I think those pieces kind of belong kind of to everyone. I mean, this is going to be the first time in a while we see a, um, what am I trying to say here? We see a running back that's going to be much more involved in the, um, in the passing game. That hasn't been something that's been a staple under Lincoln Riley the last uh, year, year and a half. I, I think things are going to get spread out. I think it's going to be Mims and it's going to be spread out from there. No, absolutely. And the guy behind Theo Weiss, I think, is probably at wide receiver the most interesting conversation or one of the more interesting pieces that could be a part of this offense in Jaleel Farouk. Receiver from the D.C. area, was best, uh, you know, close best friends with Caleb Williams. He elects to stay in Norman. A lot of good vibes about Jaleel Farouk from Mm -hmm. winter, from the practices over winter to the Oregon game to spring football. Uh, clearly a guy with more athleticism than what I gave him credit for when he got to Oklahoma. Uh, and a guy that, by all accounts, it seems to be buying in. Like, how do you see Jaleel Farouk fit into this potential wide receiver core? Is, is he a guy that could come in and take snaps away? Is he uh, is he bound to be depth? How do, how do you view that? Well, just his speed and stuff. I mean, Weiss does seem like he's going to have the ability to be that possession guy, that that 10 to 15 yard guy that you need. Uh, him and Drake will probably take turns kind of bailing out um, Dylan Gabriel on some third downs. And if, as teams take care of um, take care of Mims over the top or something along those lines, you're going to need the secondary weapon, the secondary guy who can kind of punish somebody for saying, okay, we'll, we'll have to, you know, Farouk's going to have to be one-on-one. And I think Farouk kind of surprised a lot of people. And, and if I remember reading correctly, kind of surprised some of the new guys uh, with just the just how fast he is. I mean, he was very fast in that Oregon game. That, to me, if there's going to be a secondary wide receiver, um, man, I don't. I, it's just way too early for, for predictions. But to me, I think Farouk or somebody like that uh, could be could be a better fit for that secondary uh, wide receiver, in my opinion. I mean, that's somebody I like getting speed on film, speed on field, and I think. Levy does too. If you watch those, I mean, like you said, you watch those Ole Miss games. There, there's there's a decent amount of verticality in those in that play calling, where someone like Farouk and Mims, if you can combo those guys up, it, it's going to be it's going to be pretty good. All right, here's the other one. It's time for me to gush a little bit. Me me talk about a man crush for the last couple months. It's a little clip, Peyton. You know, confirmation bias as a as a guy that's in this data space these days and, and focusing on statistics, confirmation bias isn't supposed to be a thing. Um, seeing Javante Barnes catch a football turn and run the way that he did, man, I think that guy could end up being Oklahoma's best running back by the end of the year. It's March 27th, but I I think this guy is – it may not be his first year, Peyton. He's going to mm-hmm. rush for a thousand yards in this offense, though. At some point, I feel pretty damn confident in that. Yeah, I mean, you're extremely confident on what I believe is a five second clip of somebody catching a football in a drill. But I will say, uh, if anyone's going to make an impact, if any of the the young guns is going to make an impact, it's going to be in the running back area. I mean, that's something that was as long as he's not like hardcore having to pick up. Um, uh, blocking stuff or making uh, carrying a lot of blocking schemes or something along those lines. 
that's something he could play play with and uh, do pretty well pretty quickly. So I think I'm behind you on that, to be honest with you. I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to give you some shit about the, being super excited about a, an Instagram clip, but I think I'm behind you on that. I think I'm behind you on Barnes. Yeah, he, he's got a level of a, a smoothness to the way mm-hmm. that he runs from his high school tape, and he's got some explosion to separate beyond the second level. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be a really, really special player, especially in this scheme. And I think when you talk about this scheme and how it can be important to guys continuing to develop and get better, um, they're going to be physical at the point of attack with their offensive line. Um, and their running backs are in a run downhill. And that fits exactly what Barnes does. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see what he can do. The big man on campus, though, Dylan Gabriel's going through his first spring practice. But these quotes from this week were very interesting. Everybody saw them. Um, he brings a lot more attention to detail. Definitely, he actually spends time with us in the film room to make sure the little things are perfect. That was from Theo Weiss. The, this is from Andrew Rame. The way he puts himself out there and is willing to make friends with his teammates makes us trust him a lot more and be more comfortable with him being our quarterback. Very interesting quotes. This week, Peyton was certainly the week of not to say anything bad, but but things yeah. maybe weren't as th- things maybe weren't looking as good as what you guys thought on the outside. With this quote, these quotes in particular, I want to say this from two fronts. One, obviously, everybody kind of figured out the the real Spencer Rattler during his time at Oklahoma. Um, by all accounts, after he got after he was benched, you know, became a lot better teammate. Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah. blah. Um, but I think this does speak to the other quarterback as well. Don't get me wrong; you can be the raw raw guy whenever the mic cameras are on. You can come up and pump guys up and do this and do that. But if you're not building true deep relationships with your teammates, um, as well as being trying to be the leader raw raw guy that's at the front of the videos and do this and this and that people tend to not listen to you. And I think both quarterbacks failed. Caleb was 19. I'm not going to fault a 19 year old for not being able to connect with his teammates, Peyton, by any means. Uh, He's got a lot of growing up and maturity to do and all that fun stuff. But I think it does speak to the fact that the quarterback room, and this could probably even go back to Kyler's year, right? Based off what we're seeing some of the stuff out of Arizona that, it has just lacked a guy that is whenever shit hits the fan, all a hundred players on that roster will look at. Him. And that's what Dylan Gabriel's got to accomplish. And I think by those quotes, he has started the path to when it is time in the pregame locker room for someone to speak, Dylan Gabriel is going to be allowed to speak and people are going to listen to him. I don't know if Oklahoma's had a quarterback in the last four years, five years that you can say that about. I mean, that's kind of interesting. I, I mean, I, I, you can read some body language stuff on Spencer Radler and know that. I mean, I, I've, I've always been kind of vocal about Kyler's body language on, on some of the football games where you could see he was getting like really frustrated that, you know, certain players weren't able to play up to a certain level that maybe he ex- had expected. Um, the Williams stuff, the only thing I can think about the Williams stuff is maybe he he seems like a super cool dude. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe he's thinking I'm a bit too cool or maybe I'm just really cool. And it's like kind of hard to, to really relate to somebody like that who seems so smooth and effortless. Um, Cause it, it, that, that's something that's strange about like a team full team sport like this, that you do have to sometimes bring yourself down 
to the to the level of other people so that they can relate to you and have you know have a better time uh, than you. I mean, Caleb uh, Williams obviously came came from uh, a certain amount of certain amount of wealth uh, and prosperity. They were able to do the Sooner Summit and everything. All that gets taken care of by his family and put together by his family. Um, and, and sometimes that can be hard to relate to when you're with a full team of a hundred different people, like you said, and most of them just do not know that lifestyle, do not know anything about that. Um, and it can be kind of, it can be hard to relate to somebody if you don't know how to put yourself in somebody else's position. Uh, I, I hadn't heard anything bad about Caleb. So if there's anything kind of a disconnect there to me, that would be the only thing. Maybe like you said, there's just some maturity level stuff of him understanding that, Hey, not everyone had the same opportunities you had, or, Hey, these people see something differently than you do. Um, but hearing that Dylan is able to do that stuff, because it, it makes me, I was, I was kind of thinking is, would Dylan be a captain by the time uh, spring uh, fall rolls around? But if he's really truly taking time and meeting people and getting a chance to build, build this rapport, then I think there's a pretty good chance. He's a captain and pretty good chance. He's, you know, the one leading him out of the tunnel. Yeah. I mean, Braden Willis is the obvious other captain on this office. For sure. For um, sure. And so that would that would definitely make some sense. I'm interested in Dylan Gabriel. I we've shared our opinions on this podcast over the last three four months. We've got a nice film breakdown of of him and and even Jeff Levy's offense in a couple different places um, on our Patreon. He is man. The highs are high. The lows are low. Right. And it's all about reining those things in. You're not going to learn anything about it this spring. Peyton, we're doing the same song and dance we did a year ago. You're not going to know that Dylan Gabriel's taking a step this spring. You're not going to know if he took a step this summer. You're not going to know if he took a step the first four or five games of the season. Whenever Dylan Gabriel goes in the Cotton Bowl and there's 45,000 people that hate his guts and want nothing but for him to fail, um, that's when I think is the barometer of, is Dylan Gabriel going to take Oklahoma to win a big toll title in 2022? Um, because I think, and I'm myself included, Right, because after the Kansas State game, the the metrics looked fantastic. It looked like everything was pointing in the right direction. With Spencer Rattler a year ago, and then man, it just tanked all in one half. It, everything looked good for Caleb Williams. Everything was great. He goes on the road to Waco, uh, plays Iowa State, plays Oklahoma State. Things look a little bit different. And so I think you know a lot of people are going to be sitting in this position of Peyton of you know probably one or two ways over this off season, either Dylan Gabriel based on his production is going to provide the same amount of production. The quarterbacks did a year ago, or you're in the wait and see mode. It'll be interesting to see how many people are kind of in that wait and see mode over the course of this off season. A lot of people bought in um, right now. It's hard to, there's so much sunshine. It's hard to bring any cloudy days on uh, on a Sooners Twitter, but it's uh, I'm excited. I, 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 I like the kid a lot from afar. I, you can tell he's a good, you know, well-rounded. He's all about his business. He's, you know, looks like he's getting great camaraderie with his teammates. No, there's a lot of positive things that when you think of Dylan Gabriel and um, I'm excited to see what he can do. So let's flip over to the other side of the ball because Peyton, we we did a podcast, I think about a month ago, projecting the depth chart for both the offense and defense. Oh yeah. And that defensive depth chart, the front wasn't too hard. The linebackers weren't too hard. We still have no idea what to do in the secondary. And, you know, there's obviously report, there's, you know, quick little report that was out there, maybe Oklahoma testing out a 3-3-5. Peyton, I'm sitting here, I have no idea what this thing's going to look like. You saw me tweet some tape today from Clemson defense a year ago. 
that I, I'm trying to figure out what this thing's going to look like. It may look, it may look completely different from anything that we we've, we've seen so far. Who knows? Like, I have no idea what this defense is going to look like. I don't even know if they do. I mean, I, I think the thing that you're, you're hearing about, and you're, I mean, maybe not hearing about what you're talking about that three, three, five, uh, that's where I think we're going to see. I mean, we, we had talked so great in such great detail about Brent Venables. He's a four, three guy. He's going to have the four, you know, four linemen. Here we are. We're pushing stuff through. And then you really start looking at Clemson's defense, especially this last past year, past few years. There's a lot more three, 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 three five. Oh, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a four man front, but one of them is a rush linebacker. So, so on and so forth. Uh, and I think the whole idea of it's going to have two two giant 280 pound defensive ends, two tackles at 300 pounds. I don't know if that's really what's going to happen at OU. I think probably that's where we are assuming things are going to happen. But those guys still exist on the roster right now, and if they do, it's just super thin. I mean, you you can't do that, and then you have just a, a surplus of positional flexibility at positions that you still have a lot of space for. So. In my opinion, we're probably going to see something that, and, and man, this may this may upset some of the Oklahoma faithful that looks somewhat similar to what we saw last year. Um, I think I think that's what we're going to end up seeing to a certain degree. I mean, do you think I'm just like super off base on that, or you think Brent's working with the groceries he's got? Yeah, it could be like you said, you know, working with the hand that you've been dealt. It's just. It makes a lot of sense. You know, let's just focus on the front. Mm-hmm. You have a three-tech defensive tackle in, in Jalen Redman. You have a one-tech defensive tackle in Isaiah Coe. You have a five-tech defensive end in Reggie Grimes. That could be a strong side guy. That makes a lot of sense. So then you're left with figuring out the rush linebacker or Jack, Edge, Rush, whatever title Brent Venables wants to give that guy, right? Um, weak side defensive end, like – that's the only position that doesn't seem to they don't have a true guy that you can just say, Hey, you know, Clayton Smith can play there. You can trust them. Everything's ready to go. Um, you know, Marcus Stripling, you can trust him. You can play him there. He's ready to go. Brennan Walker, you can trust him. He's there. He's ready to go. I don't know if you have that. And so I think that's what makes this super interesting is that I do think they have the pieces everywhere else because, because behind Reggie Grimes, you have Ethan Downs. Is there a way they, they if they get Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes on the field together, Peyton? There's your two 260 pound defensive ends. Like there's yeah. a lot that they, there's a lot that they can do, um, but it's also going to be a mystery, man. Like I and everything falls from there. Here's the other thing we're about to talk about it here in a second. We might as well just lump these two in together the, the same. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a nickelback? Is it going to be an oversized DB or is it going to be an undersized linebacker playing the nickelback sand position? Like, I don't even know if, the, I don't know if they have that answer. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's such, you, you have, you have to take Brent at his word. It's, it's a complete fresh board for everyone across the board uh, and try to figure out who's going to do what, who's going to play where I would be completely surprised if they trout out, trot out three linebackers and one of them is like a pseudo guy. Um, to start Big 12 play. Uh, that would be so counter counterintuitive from what we're seeing out of defenses uh, in the league and defenses somewhat nationwide. I, I think that would just be it'd, – it'd be strange, in my opinion, if if the, the, our man crush is out there, uh, Kanek is out there playing that that nickel slash Sam roll um, 
day one. I, I still think that's where Bowman's going to be or one of the, tra- or one of the transfer guys, uh, Morrison maybe. Uh, but I, st- I have a hard time seeing that being a linebacker position at this point in time. What, a, what if it's Shane Witter? He dropped nine pounds. It's very peculiar because you heard the Shane Witter Sam talk over the last month or so, some rumors about it. Mm-hmm. We could probably even we I could should probably check in on that just to be real. Um, he drops nine pounds. He's at two sixteen. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. You yeah, two sixteen four four runner. Like everyone that's always trying to like. I remember when he signed on. Everyone was freaking out about how fast he was and how he could be a starter day one. And he, his career hasn't quite turned out that well. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I guess so. Maybe he could be a good mixture of the two. If, he, if he's truly in that two, two teens area. And that's, that's generally where that position has been in, in a Clemson, you know, um, in a Clemson um, defensive structure, the, that that position has not been a big position except for Isaiah Thomas was what was he like two thirty, uh, something like that or whatever. Not Isaiah Thomas. What am I trying to say here? Isaiah Simmons? Question mark. Yes. Yes. Isaiah he was Simmons. like in a he was like in the two twenties, two low two thirties, but he's like a freak of nature. That's that's, that's a bit of a difference uh, uh, at that point in time. But yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. I could see that more than I could see. Like I said, our mutual man crush. Um, uh, out there, uh, out there at six five two thirty. <laughs> yeah, it's and it, like there's some candidates, right? Like when you look at the roster, you know, I think a, a guy like Bowman is in, intriguing there. I think a guy like mm-hmm. Morrison's intriguing there if they want to get, you know, focus more on coverage. Um, but after that, man, it's it's pretty bleak. Like you have Jaden Rowe who makes a lot of sense, right. To be that apex Sam linebacker type that it makes some sense there, but outside of him, like him and Witter, I, I don't know. And uh, so I'm interested to see how they, how that nickelback Sam position is going to play out apex. I think it's what Brent Venables actually calls the position. Now it's the one that Peyton just mentioned a second ago, Isaiah Simmons played. Um, you could play nickel. You could be back at safety. You could be in the box. Um, Trenton Simpson, the all the do it all linebacker at Clemson right now. He played it. Uh, he's the guy that I said about three months ago. Peyton first studying Clemson was like, yeah, Brent Brentville was a better man than I because I would have tampered like hell uh, to get Trenton Simpson over to Oklahoma if I was Brent. That dude is unbelievable. So it's definitely an uh, it's an interesting world on this defense. Um, you know, I would imagine that there. are going to figure out what personnel puts it fits where this spring. And then the fall is when the depth chart defensively should fall into place. So like, I am not of the belief and I'll throw this to you, Peyton. I am not of the opinion, anything I hear defensively about starters backups this spring or even summer. Like I may just throw it out. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Anything you hear. Yeah. Toss that stuff out. We, we've learned that lesson. Brent does seem to be more, a more open guy. So maybe that's not too crazy, but we still have spring game. And while that obviously isn't the people who, uh, who start and all that type of stuff, spring game will show us some stuff. We'll show us some structure, at least a base structure of what it is that Brent will be asking these guys to do. Uh, and I think that's something you can glean some information from. Um, and I think that I think that's obviously our first window until 
uh, hopefully we've got some, maybe some false, false stuff that's open to reporters and stuff like that as well, uh, potentially. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't discount the, the amount of nuggets we can, we can get out of the spring game. Now I don't think it's like, you know, the spring game heroes and stuff and spring game hall of fame <laughs> uh, for OU football. But I think we could find some defensive structure that I think both of you and I are pretty interested in seeing uh, how it will play out at Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and in that specifically Peyton's talking about like where personnel fits at, you know, I think we went through some names a second ago. I, you know, if I'm looking at this potential starting rotation for Oklahoma defensively, Peyton, Jalen Redmond's a part of it. Reggie mm-hmm. Grimes is a part of it. Um, Deshaun White is a part of it. And I know he's been through the ringer with some Oklahoma fans. I sent this out the other day. He had some, he has been put on some bad highlights. He missed, he has missed some bad tackles over the last couple of years, but he has been their most steady guy. Now that's saying, I don't know how much that's saying, um, but he has been the steady guy of their linebacker crew. So I'd imagine experience, ability, he's probably going to start. You have Woody Washington, you have DJ Graham, and you have Key Lawrence. Outside of those six, Baden, I have no clue personnel-wise what this thing's going to look like. Um, and it sounds like Key Lawrence is, gonna ba- is back at safety, which I, I'm a fan of. I don't know where you stand on that. Yeah, that's somewhere I think he he needs to play at. He has the size to come down on run support and come down on some of this RPO stuff and and kind of punish some punish some guys to keep it from happening. So that's a position I think I've kind of always seen him at. I I had kind of teased in my mind of what it would look like if he were at that nickelback spot. I just don't think he's fidgety enough um, for what that spot kind of pulls uh, needs to have. But at safety, where everything's in front of him and he can go downhill, uh, I, I think that's the spot he needs to be at. And I think that's the spot he's going to succeed at long term. Uh, I I agree with you a thousand percent. Last thing on the defense, Peyton, before we move on and we talk about some recruiting that was happening in Oklahoma this weekend. I have a feeling, Peyton, this isn't going to be the last time we talk about this either. You always have to start out with. I have done multiple interviews. I've told some great stories about Justin Broyles, um, safety or a defensive back from here in Oklahoma City. Where are we at with him starting in 2022 on this defense? Uh, starting? No. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, that's a. I mean, are you mean starting like where do I feel about him in my heart of hearts? Or no, no. Like he's the like, gun goes off. He's on the field. Snap one. Brent Venables is yelling at 25 because he's on the field starting. No, will not happen. Cannot happen. It, I don't know if the, uh, if the founder of this podcast would be able to survive uh, game one, if that were to happen. I think Justin Bros is a fine guy. I think he seems great. I hope he's able to get his uh, master's degree out of this, uh, but I do not want to see him on a, this personally right now. I mean, I do not want to see him on the field in meaningful snaps for the university of Oklahoma, unless he's just made a, unnatural step in talent skill and body maturation that i mean that's that's that maybe Failed that's too the, rude or anything, to mention that's athleticism it. athleticism as well but yes yeah. <laughs> and, basically yeah. all four areas which need to be good at if he got good at all four of them i could be okay with i'm fine feeding the crow i'm fine of being made to look like an idiot but um if, if things stand as I, as i see him as a player today and he is still on the field um that that i don't like it i don't like it at all (laughs) i i think a lot of people would reiterate those same feelings i 
I am of the belief that a guy like Trey Morrison that transferred from North Carolina, um, since everybody's starting off on the same foot under a new system, everybody's learning at the same pace. No one has previous experience that a guy like Trey Morrison could come in very um, instinctual player as a defensive back. He's not afraid to get his nose dirty in the run game. Um, pretty good in coverage, lacks some foot speed that you want to see, but he uh, his game speed is a little bit quicker. And so we'll see how it plays out, but I am just saying, like, you know, you're just looking at these videos and he's the one leading them out of breaks. He's looks like he's the vocal guy. And maybe well, he's it's a just Trevor been Knight there day. for a long time. <laughs> it's awesome. No, I mean, it, it, it's, it's senior stuff. I mean, they're out there, they're leading the stuff. That's something if um, for the public listeners, we had Ryan Chapman on and he talked about, there's a lot of guys who are running through and making sure drills are being ran. Right. Is like a lot of times it's not even the coaches who are stopping stuff. And this is a story that you're kind of mentioning about um, the, the defensive backs were doing the catch drill or they, you know, they like, they run the you know the three yards, catch the football, tuck it, and run. And some guys weren't you know finishing that run off the way it should have been done. And Broyles pulled them all back. To, apparently, pulled them all back together and said, "Hey, we're all running this again. We're all running it out the right way." You know, what I mean, and that's the kind of stuff. If he's going to be a starter or not, it, you can be a team leader and not be a starter. And I think that's where he's going to be at comfortably in in this. And if that type of stuff has OU playing for the goals and, and for the expectations us outsiders have it in, then we all need to make a, a, a collective apology to Brent, uh, to Justin Broyles, but you know, apolo- <laughs> apologize, apologize to Mrs. Broyles. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be on the football field much uh, w- when the actual snaps are happening. We'll certainly see. Speaking of replacements, Oklahoma had a lot of guys in town hoping to replace some of these guys someday. Peyton, it is, I will not lie. I looked at the visitors lists that are out there today for the first time. Mm-hmm. I did not realize the amount of talent that was in Norman um, over the last three to four days, checking things out, seeing the sites, doing all that fun stuff. But like everyone else on everybody else's podcast and stories and articles, I think we do have to start with some of the comments last week, specifically Um, Brent Venables basically announcing to the public that, hey, if you're a recruit, if, you know, you want to come to Oklahoma, we'd love to have you. But if you also want to go visit Alabama after that, if you want to go visit Georgia after that, if you want to go visit Texas A&M after that, we're not going to honor your commitment. We're not going to keep a place spot open for you. We're going to continue to recruit someone else, which is one of the many 180s from the last staff, the last staff was even, even fans of getting a guy committed. Okay. With him decommitting and then getting him back in the boat. Eventually they're really, really good at that. Um, it's different. It's old school. I think a lot of this fan base appreciates that of honoring commitments and, you know, I hate to say the beliefs of, of baby boomers, but like, I certainly, it, it's old school. It, I don't I don't know the long-term sustainability of that mindset, but it could work, right? Like, I guess I'm putting my shoulders up right now, Peyton. It could, like, it could work, I, I, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, Keegan, this may be where 
where my age can can help us can help, can help us walk through here. Uh, I want to tell a story about a football team who did recruit in this way. Um, this this was a while ago, so you know I, 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 You're I, good. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like you know expect you to know all this stuff, but you know a little while ago there's a team um, in South Carolina, Clemson. Uh, they won two national championships recruiting this way, so, uh, and that may be before your time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think it'll be fine. I think OU, if OU gets the guys they want to get, I'm just kind of busting your balls there. If OU can get the guys they want to get, it's going to be fine. I, th- I think instead of having guys loaded up early, because Lincoln Riley was a little bit of a Mr. February type of a feel to him, a little bit of that Mac Brown type of feel to him. I think we're just going to see more commits late than OU's used and we're used to recently. And it's going to be more of that Bob Soup style where, Hey, signing day is actually signing day. Like there's stuff going on, you know, uh, for for Oklahoma football, uh, and I think that's going to be fine. Honestly, yeah, is it strange? Is it going to be? Is it going to be different when we're so used to quote unquote player empowerment? I don't think this has anything. I don't think this this does anything against player empowerment in any way, shape, or form. It's one. Uh, if anything, it, it's 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 going to be just allow the program to assign and uh, address and move on. Um, instead of kind of what Lincoln Riley did a few times by getting played out to the very, very end. And he's still recruiting, you know, he's still recruiting a kid who's actually signed to another school. He just doesn't know yet. I mean, Oh, you got themselves into some issues, you know, late in that tenure um, that just doesn't seem like it's going to happen this time around. And are you going to miss out some guys potentially, but if you look at the guys who are coming to the junior day, you look at the, you look at the social media buzz that's happening. Like I need some of these dudes to commit and I'm praying that they do just so we can get some immediate internet bloggers to shut up about that. Think the idea that Brent Venables won't be able to recruit Oklahoma. I mean, cause if they get some of the guys who, who, who've been visiting to start pulling triggers, it all, every single p- potential narrative that you can come up with just starts kind of fading away. It's certainly going to be, Interesting on the uh, Clemson front. Yeah, it did predate me. That's why they're a blue bud, right? Um, That's true. 100%. 100%. Uh, uh, no, I think it's the other part about this week. Um, and it goes to conversations we've had in the past on this podcast. Uh, personally, all that fun stuff paid. They had top kids in from Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. Had a kid in from Washington, D.C. And, uh, and they're going to try to keep that. That pipeline open, it looks like. Yep. I uh, I love this approach because I think it's the approach of any successful entity that's starting from scratch a little bit, right? You send a wide cast out, try to get as many kids to come to Norman as you can, as many of these top kids out, they go home, they start telling their high school coaches how great it was. Oh, now these high school coaches need to get on the phone with Oklahoma more. And then you start building those relationships and it could work out for you well in the end. I appreciate that approach. When you, if you're going to do this, Peyton, in terms of going into Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana and Georgia and winning consistently on the recruiting trail, it is going to start not just with calling a kid from Alabama one year and then waiting two years to get another one. And I think this staff's, understands that let's send as big of a net out as we possibly can. Let's see how many kids are interested, how many of these top kids down in the Southeast part of the country are interested. Let's give them the Norman. Let's make them feel good. Let's make them 
feel they'll go back home and say nothing but positive things about Oklahoma. Cause I look at the list and in my head paint, I'm just crossing guys off. It's like, man, he's not going here just from my past. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, he's not going yeah. here. He's not going here. He's not going here. He's not going here. But I think the approach of it, the executing at the end in terms of how many commitments come from this weekend. I don't even know if it matters as much from the aspect of, from a philosophical perspective, Oklahoma is now, I'm sure just a little bit more. There's a little bit more of a radar on Oklahoma from the Alabamas of the world and Brian Kelly recruiting at LSU and, Oh, Brent's not scared to come down here. Maybe. I don't know. Um, But I love the approach. I think it's really smart and I'm interested to see how they keep pushing, pushing it. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, what's keeping OU from being the third, the third recruiter in the actual, in the core Southeastern states of the SEC. I mean, LSU, you, you talk about Brian Kelly. There is, if you, you're not going to see me, but I kind of like had kind of did like a head shake there. Yeah. LSU, you know, it's, they've got 25. They put in 20 from Louisiana. I mean, you know, so their recruiting is a little bit different. Uh, Alabama's pulling guys from different places. Georgia's pulling guys from different places. But, you know, the Mississippi schools, I mean, like Alabama and Georgia can't get everyone in the in that those core set of states. I mean, what, what's going to keep OU, once they have the SEC logo on their shoulder, I mean, on their, you know, on their chest, from being able to be that third-place team, you know, that's like, you know, picking up all the third-best players and things like that once once seats start filling up? Because right now they're not, obviously, because they don't have the SEC logo on their chest, but pretty soon they will. Texas and Texas A&M are going to completely fight it out over, over Texas, which OU obviously needs to be pulling in at least five of the top, 20 players every year, some top 25 players out of Texas every year trying to do that. But I mean, what, what in your mind, am I being too hopeful in that area? I mean, the, the idea of Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, I mean, what keeps OU being the third best school out of those places beyond maybe kids just wanting to go to their state school? Yeah. I was going to mention Ohio state for one is always going to be hard. They recruit nationally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clem- yeah. Clemson's the other, um, but now Venables is gone. And the ace of that staff in terms of recruiting Todd Bates is now at Oklahoma. Um, So, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. But I also think, like, in my head, I have to account for, well, Alabama's the number two in the state of Louisiana, and so is Georgia. So those are the two schools you're going up against. In the state of Alabama, it's the same thing. It's Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Georgia, Alabama. I mean, you're going up against your own own conference foes. So, but to your point, in terms of success on the field and that turning over into recruiting and getting momentum, like, I don't think Oklahoma should ever be scared to go into a place from a guy that held an opinion that Oklahoma should punt as much recruiting in the Southeast part of the country as possible. Um, I don't think they should be scared of it specifically with the SEC patch on. Um, but I still think you got to remain cautious. Like you don't want, in terms of opportunity costs, like you don't want to waste too much time on a kid that you're in fifth place for, and you're never going to get higher than fifth just because he's located in a part of the country that I mean, I hate, I'm not saying these kids are brainwashed by any means, but I mean, they're hard nosed. They come from a hard nosed part of the country. They love the rough and tough. They've wanted to play in the sec. They want to play for Ole Miss. They want to play for Mississippi state. They want to play for Bama, Auburn, Georgia. Like that's going to be hard. But I, I'm with, like, from the idea of what is stopping Oklahoma from going into these states at four years from now and saying, hey, 
we can go get this kid that's not going to Alabama, that's not going to Georgia, nothing. Um, but you also have to produce on the field. So it's going to go hand in hand. Like, I don't think this is like uh, next thing you know, they, you know, even this, they have success this year, Peyton, all of a sudden Oklahoma's landing a five-star kid from the state of Alabama. Like, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But three, four, three or four years down the road, building these inroads with these kids that you may not get in 23, that could help you for 25 if you do it the right way in terms of those relationships you build, those high school coaches, the people down in those areas, all that fun stuff. So I think that's where that can come in. Um, before we move on, do you have anything on that else on that? No, I mean, I, I think it, it, we, we don't know that where everything's going to shift. I mean, Texas is still going to recruit how Texas recruits. I don't actually don't know if they're going to get that big of a boost, that big of a boost with the patch on with the SEC money coming in from where they already are. I, I think there's a certain amount of time you have, you can have so many resources that you start losing that re- return on investment on those resources. You're not getting the dividends. You've kind of, you've kind of hit the soft cap, uh, so to speak, to where every point you put into it, you're not getting back the amount you were getting. Um, the, the biggest thing is you rattle off all those schools. A and M's going to take a hit of OU walking in this. OU in Texas walking sure. in. It, they're going to take a hit. These Mississippi schools are going to take a hit. Auburn is going to take a hit. I mean, it's and then all of a sudden it's like, well, where where does all this kind of, you know, if we're going to go on the game show, and where's this all going to like plinko down, you know, rattle down the little game chip down into the bottom, uh, you know, to the little bottom catch all thing? How all that's going to shake out is this going to be so very interesting to me, and that's the part that I, I can't wait to see how it all happens because I, I'm having a hard time. And unless this kid's just dead set on going to Mississippi because he's from Mississippi for 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 him not to pick Oklahoma or he or you know or, or if he's if OU's OU's already getting Florida kids if now they're just getting even a better caliber of Florida kids OU's already getting Tidewater kids they're just getting a quote unquote better caliber of Tidewater kid I mean I just don't know if it's I don't see how this is going to be a negative at all uh, that that some people try to portray it as and honestly it just seems like it's going to be I think OU just might be a bigger, bigger dog in the recruiting area that people really want to give him credit for. And that's hopium potentially all sun, all like I said, it's sunny outside right now. So maybe that's what, that's what, what I'm seeing. Oh, for sure. And I completely get it. I think again, this staff, this first year is selling, you know, an idea. Mm-hmm. And even from our interview with Shane Beamer, you know, you heard him talk about it, you know, proof of concepts, very important in recruiting. And I think this is going to be, you know, three, four years down the line has a chance to be a, a staff led by Brent Venables. That's going to recruit at a very, very high level for this reasoning, Peyton. Also the top 2024 20, kids, not 23, not the upcoming class, top 2024 20, kids from DFW are in town. Five handful top 100 kids on rivals um, on both websites. I mean, DFW is, exp- I, I hate to use the word exploding for like Oklahoma guys, and maybe they just were going elsewhere and I didn't notice it. But I mean, there is some elite defensive players coming out of DFW, this class, the upcoming class, and in 2025. And for Oklahoma to strike, strike iron while it's hot, like that could be the best of both worlds. You get a defensive-minded coach in, 
um, and you bring and you and you're able to land and start building an elite defense with elite players from your own backyard. Like from your perspective, I know that has to be the best of both worlds um, when it comes to Oklahoma football and recruiting. Yeah, the DFW area um, has has to be OU's area. I mean, OU is the DFW school of choice to a certain degree out of that area. Uh, sure, SMU is getting better. TCU is getting better. Um, but, I mean, as we've seen the uh, financial payout models and stuff like that, uh, sure. OU is about to be start getting twice as much money as any of these remaining Big 12 teams are going to be. Uh, OU is going to be able to – if OU is not pulling in any Den kid, <laughs> Allen kid, Fris, uh, Frisco kid, Plano kid, McKinney kid they want – uh, something has happened that I'm not a big fan of. Um, and I didn't even mention just Dallas in general. I mean, you know, uh, th- there's so many kids you can pull down there. Um, I think they're, I think they're actually recruiting a Sherman kid right now, Sherman, Texas. I mean, the, the Metro just keeps growing and growing and growing in that area. Um, it, it would be foolhardy if OU just doesn't put a, doesn't put a, a rig down there or whatever the oil stuff's called and a, a Derek or whatever. Um, and, and starts just pumping that, pumping that black Texas gold. No, for sure. And just to name some of these guys, Colin Simmons, the uh, five-star from Duncanville. Um, Zena Amuzulu, that's how I'm going to go with it, from Allen, Texas, uh, a defensive end. His brother, I believe, is the offensive tackle that was in last year's class um, in the 2022 class from Allen, Texas, as well as the guy that I've seen in person, Zadavian Sims. Peyton, this kid's going to be an absolute stud. Um, I don't usually go to workouts and come away with like huge impressions of guys, you know, but mm-hmm. I saw this guy work out. He is, he is born to play a three tech defensive tackle, um, in football, whatever level it's at. And I think that's a guy that Oklahoma is going to continue to do really, really good work on and see if they can go get, um, next on the list for us, IMG kids, including a, a boy from your neck of the woods. Yeah, I mean, uh, Stacy Gage, apparently from Hugo, Oklahoma. That's what that's what uh, everyone's saying. Everyone seems to have uh, said yes to that. I I don't know if it's come from his mouth directly, but he's down there. Um, it would be cool. It's my uh, my heart kind of wishes. I don't. It does not seem like he's been in Hugo has has been in Hugo uh, recently. It seems like he'd been in Florida for a while. It would have been cool to see him beat Hugo Buff, wear the black and gold, uh, <laughs> and do some great things for uh, for my for my team. But uh, no, it's it's super cool. It's a five star running back. What was that twenty twenty four down? Also down there of DJ Langway, uh, the potential five star quarterback from twenty four as well. From a lot of people are saying, those are the two I was really kind of hinting at. I want them both to commit, and then everyone can just shut up about, oh, no, OU's not going to be able to get offensive star players anymore uh, <laughs> if those type of guys just start committing uh, pretty quickly. Um, you have to hope that Stacey Gage is an OU favorite and is going to end up in the Crimson and Cream um, because OU needs that type of running back. I don't think they've had that type of running back. I don't think they're um, – I think that's the type of guy they're going to have, especially in Levy's offense. That's going to be a bit more, Hey, we, you know, we, we need a five-star running back to help make this really click um, 
at the highest it can be, you know, if, if that makes sense to me, but I mean, what do you think about, what do you think about DJ and, um, and Stacy? I mean, they're both taking photos together saying, Hey, what about the number one, the two number ones coming to OU and all that type of stuff. I mean, I know it's kids are trying to get likes, we're trying to get followers yeah. and everything, but I mean, you I mean, how realistic you think that's, that, that could be. 24 is going to be hard with Jackson Arnold. They're going to have to do a lot of convincing. I mean, you know how this, we, Anybody that's watched or covered or been around, followed Oklahoma football for the last five years knows the game. Like mm-hmm. if Oklahoma feels good about Jackson Arnold, they will they will not portray. They will share those feelings with the next quarterback they're recruiting. And that next quarterback has to make a choice whether he wants to go and compete or he wants to go somewhere that's a little bit easier to get on the field. So there's always that part of it. But I just think the big picture, like it's IMG Academy where Clemson had a lot of success at Um, Oklahoma even went up against a guy named Brendan Radley Hiles that played at IMG Academy. Um, And so it's important to be in that place. You got a guy like David Stone, who is clearly from the state of Oklahoma at Delta city high school. He's now down there. Going to be one of the best defensive linemen in the country in the 2024 class. And you have a guy like Stacey Gage, um, Linway, like you mentioned a second ago, I, I think that, you know, Getting into IMG Academy can pay dividends for years to come. And having those guys that are from the state of Oklahoma, Peyton, that are down there, I mean, you can't, in terms of timing, you can't ask for anything better than that. Um, and so I, the quarterback stuff, the whole understanding the dominoes and the musical chairs of quarterbacks in college football these days, and I think we do a good job on this podcast discuss that why like Oklahoma didn't get Bryce Young, <laughs> like why Oklahoma, even though he wanted to go to OU, why he didn't go. Um, and that's just what it is. Like you have to deal with it. It's the world of recruiting quarterbacks in the 2020s. Um, and I'm sure it's only going to get harder um, to, to recruit these guys and get them to campus and, and want to come in and compete. And so it'll be interesting to see how they attack the 24 quarterbacks because um, <laughs> not to go off topic from what we are talking about, but like, you know, we'll see what happens with Nick Evers at Oklahoma, right? Like, you know, they're bringing in Jackson Arnold right behind him for a reason. Um, And, you know, we look at those kinds of things and we take away all these narratives and all these ideas from it, but who knows, who knows what they do in 2024. Um, I did think something else that was interesting from this weekend, two quick nuggets, Derek LeBlanc, the high, the highly touted defensive end from the state of Florida, um, maybe from Kissimmee, Florida. Back in Norman for a return visit. I don't know if it's a guy that we've talked about or even watched tape of, um, but it's certainly interesting. It's another top player from the state, some southeast part of the country. He makes, I believe, I'm saying I'm saying this right, made a return visit to Norman this weekend, and it was uh, it was good to see. Moving on from that, I'll throw it to you on this. Uh, 2020, if we're getting way deep, way into the future here, Peyton. 2025 kids in the state of Oklahoma on campus last weekend. Um, a lot of them from your neck of the woods, Idabel, um, uh, Ravian Lear, uh, Larry, I believe is his last name, running back from Idabel, Oklahoma. But they had a handful of Oklahoma kids in the 24 and 25 classes, Peyton, that were on campus. Again, I, I just, I love the approach that this staff is going with recruiting. Now, they can't be a, uh, they can't be a token recruit 
or recruiter for these kids. Like Oklahoma needs to go and recruit these guys and yeah. make them feel wanted, um, just like they do with all the other kids that with them from every other state. But I love the approach, man. Like whenever you would have asked me before this thing got going that if Brent Venables would attack the Southeast, continue to keep a focus on DFW as your home base, and then really start gen- developing these relationships and recruiting these Oklahoma kids that may be a little bit underrated. I'm all for it, man. I think it's fantastic. I love it. Um, and I'm very much forward to see how many Oklahoma kids pan out um, and play at Oklahoma under this new regime. Well, that I think what we're seeing here, I mean, obviously is, is Brent Venables healing the bonds that had happened the past six years from Oklahoma high school football coaches in the, in the university, university of Oklahoma, kind of really bringing those bridges back up and allowing kids to come into Norman and allowing them to get exposure, allowing them to be able to be seen from their coaches, you know, and kind of help that other States and stuff like that. I mean, other state schools and stuff like that as well, but you're right. I mean, university of Oklahoma is not a, a charity program. They should not be allowing people to just to come in, to come in, um, but when they run these camps or any these pro, uh, you know, junior day, stuff like that, they, you know, they help them out they do stuff. I, I think what you're seeing in Southeastern Oklahoma kind of really showing up on all these things. I think that's, um, was it Sean Cooper? I, I think he's, uh, down at C4 athletics. I think he has built something that has allowed a lot of people from some Southeastern Oklahoma and Northeastern Texas, honestly, you got a lot of kids from Denison and Sherman and, a guy. um, Gunter, I think, was one of them. I mean, you've got some uh, some of these smaller s- schools in this area um, that now have the ability to go to some uh, some seven on sevens and, and take care of stuff and get seen. But um, the the Idabel running back, um, I know it's twenty twenty five and that's so long, but he's probably someone who, if, if his trend continues the way he's going, should more than likely be on the roster of of Oklahoma. Uh, if he continues to mature and and, uh, and and grow the way he's growing and play the way he's pr- uh, playing right now, he's someone who could uh, easily be on the roster and not just be someone that OU's bringing in to, you know, kind of help um, do a solid to all the other Oklahoma um, high school programs and stuff. If that does that does any of that make sense? That I just said. No. Yes, it it absolutely does, and I think that you know, but we hit we both touched on this within what we said, like. One, Oklahoma needs to recruit these kids. You don't just bring these kids in for a visit and say hi, take some pictures. Like, no, they they need to make sure these kids in Oklahoma feel wanted. Um, and to the Ravian Larry part, yes, I have only heard obviously mean having a relationship with Sean Cooper down there in Durant. Um, I've only heard rave reviews of what that kid's going to be. I've got to see him do some stuff in person too. Um, he's so young. Like he said, Mm -hmm. it was hard to get really engaged from just some work indoors. But like we both said, I think it's really good to see Oklahoma from a recruiting perspective, um, building this thing out relationship driven and trying to get and trying to get as many kids in from different, different high schools, different parts of the country, um, and kind of maybe see what they can come out with it at the end. Uh, before we wrap it up out of here, a couple of quick things. Peyton, uh, speaking of quarterbacks and recruiting, Jackson Arnold going to the Elite 11. I saw that. I mean, really have a chance to kind of climb up the board. Uh, I mean, do you think he has a chance to get into that five-star range, or is it just not within his capability uh, or his skill set? I mean, he's a top 50 recruit right now, right? Top 50 recruit, number six quarterback according to 24-7. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's not like a prototypical NFL like prospect by any means. You know, I've mentioned some Matthew Stafford stuff with him potentially, but like obviously we need to see more. I've always been of the belief like he whenever I think of him at Oklahoma, I think of Bryce Petty at Baylor um, during his time down there running the system under our Bryles. And so like, I don't know if that garners a five-star ranking by any means, but he's a better athlete than what people give him credit for. Um, And I, I think he's a very accurate passer. I just don't know if like, he's got that big arm and he's, you know, can make, plays out of nothing like what you see from a five-star quarterback i don't know if he has those qualities but he's a top 50 player top 100 player in the country for a reason i think he's very very good like i said i've thrown some matthew stafford stuff out there um to see how people would respond to it um but i you know he's at the elite level for a reason um and that event like i i think the biggest thing is a lot of people see like it's seven on seven you know, it's this and that. He's throwing the guys on air, one-on-ones, Pascal, just normal pat and goes, like whatever it may be. But you get into that opening environment, man, like it's a new playbook. Like they're they're running you through it for an entire week. You've got new players all around you. You've got to get chemistry, good chemistry with. You're going up against defensively the best athletes in the country, even though it's just secondary members and linebackers. Like it's tough. So if you go in there and perform, like you're pro- you're usually pretty good. Um and so he'll have a great test at the Elite 11. We'll have probably a better barometer um, for that after the afterwards. Um, yeah, so. right now the, the top four quarterbacks, uh, according to 24-7, are within the top seven recruits in the nation. And then there's a bit of a drop-off with uh, Jaden Hashrata. Uh, yes. He's the, he's the number five quarterback. He's 30, 31st nationally. You got Jackson. He's number six at 40 nationally. And they're only separated by uh, uh, Jaden is a 0.9853. Jackson Arnold's a 0.9823. So, I mean, there's a chance, in, you know, if he gets into the top 30, something like that, he performs real well. Some camps coming up, has a great senior season. I mean, there's always a chance. But he is a bit undersized, according to the rest of those guys. Like you said, he's the only one under six two. Uh, all the rest of them are, you know, six three on up to six five. So you're right. There's there there does seem to be a bit of a quote unquote prototypical NFL quarterback um, body type that's kind of nestled above him. But I think there's a chance. I mean, I, there, there's always a chance. I mean, I, we had when we had Ian Boyd on, he considered him much more of a uh, a Sam Ellinger type. Um, which, no, uh, I don't see that. I don't not. I, I don't see that either. I don't see that either. But, uh, but I mean, Ian. I think Ian always sees uh, Sam and all the quarterbacks he he looks at any any time now. But I mean, I think there's a chance. I think he can be good. Um, I don't think at any point in time he's a because not all four stars are equal. Because Nick Evers is a four star. Um, I, I don't think Jackson and him are on the same uh, on the same talent. No, I don't talent. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I I have said this before. I think I maybe even said this on the public podcast, Peyton. Like, I am very much of the timeline of Dylan Gabriel's two years, and then they'll hand that thing over to Jackson Arnold um, mm-hmm. and, and have him play his career. So we'll certainly see how that all plays out. Before we get out of here, Oklahoma softball um, stays undefeated. We talk about it because it's crazy. They're down one nothing. 
they had won the first two games against Baylor in a run rule. Um, and uh, they pull out a 3-1, 3-1 win walk on off. a walk-off home run from T.R. Jennings. Walk-off. Bah. Deep center field. And uh, I mentioned that from the aspect of, well, it sucks. Their run rule. They haven't, they've run rolled teams for a month straight. So, I mean, got to be better next time, I guess. Uh, but Patty Gasso said after the game today, Peyton, that like even a loss would have been good for them. Like they, they've, they've lost about 40 innings of pitching so far in run rolls. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this can allow the team to really start focusing in on, you know, I know I me mean, winning has such a, <laughs> can cover up such a, such so many things winning can, but also, I mean, if, if we were to look at Patty and what she's talking about, maybe the team has too many NIL obligations and maybe this will allow them to kind of pull it back down, you know? Um, and she, she had kind of an old man crotch, crotch to take about the NIL deals. Uh, but I think maybe this can help them focus on because they're going to, they're going to face harder teams. They're going to face teams that are going to stress them. They're going to face teams. That's not going to just roll over immediately. And they're going to face people who they can't really mess with. I mean, sometimes, uh, I mean, who was the, uh, who was the pitcher in last year's, was it like Jackson state or uh, J James Madison, James Madison. Yeah. She just kind of knocked OU around single-handedly, you know, and sat them all down. So, I mean, you're going to run into that and it's just about, surviving and staying strong and and understanding that in until you've got the last out you still got a chance to win the win the uh win the game so it, it's going to be important for OU to keep getting tested this way um I'm, I'm actually very happy someone from the conference uh, has the ability to test them i mean that's great um i'm very happy it won't be like a gonzaga type thing uh who has the same winning record against uh top seeds as the uh, number 15 and 16 teams do as well uh you don't want to be that type of team who just gets really, really good on beating up on the mediocre team. So um, I think it's good overall. That's just, it's a long answer of saying, yeah, I think it's good. They got pushed, pushed a bit. Did, did you, uh, you watch the Kentucky game during the week? The one that was nationally broadcasting. I did not watch the Kentucky game. No uh, college basketball is a, a, a tough, tough watch for me. Usually. Oh, I was talking Kentucky, Oklahoma softball, Peyton. Come on. Oh no, no, no. no. Yeah. Well, you say Kentucky. Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to watch that either. Uh, you're good. I apologize. It was crazy. Me. And, like, I mentioned to bring that up as, like, I'm excited for SEC softball. Like, yes, that's going to be a much different thing for OU. Even You put that team, you put this year's team and last year's team in the SEC, uh, uh, they just have more losses. I mean, it's just going to be – it's just it's, it's such so much talent down there. And because of that is because there's so much money to pump into these programs – it, it's going to be it's it's going to be good for all the programs of Oklahoma. I, I just cut you off. I apologize. No, you're good. I, I it's like one shot Oklahoma baseball. I'll give them a little quick shout out. Nice series win over Baylor this weekend. They gave up nine runs in the final two innings today to lose sixteen to seven. But we won't mention that more than what I just did. Um, SEC softball and baseball man is legit, and I know we've talked about it. People have talked about it like ad nauseum since the move was made official last summer, but seeing that Kentucky had their first sellout, like Oklahoma softball sold out an sec stadium and Greg Sankey threw out a fun tweet with it. Yeah, you see Greg Sankey's tweet. Yep. 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 Two sec schools and sec network or something like that. So um, it's, uh, 
it's uh, going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So uh, for us, I think that's going to wrap it up. I don't think we missed anything over the last week. Um, if you guys made it to this point of the podcast, we'd love, 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 love for you guys to subscribe, review, rate on all your podcasting platforms. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. And as well as patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Peyton. 